This podcast is sponsored by listeners like yourself at patreon.com slash the laps. I've been asked more than a couple times what it costs to run a show like this, and the truth is, well, um, everything. Okay, not <laughs> everything in the grand sense, but to find the incredible people who bear their souls on this show and, and to make those stories really sing in this format, this has to be my full nine to five job. Sometimes nine to nine if I'm working late. It simply wouldn't exist otherwise. You take your monthly expenses, rent, food, electricity, what have you, and that is actually what it costs to run this show. It's, uh, it's a lot. So if these stories resonate with you, make your commute easier or your day just that little bit better, I could really use your support. Right now, for even a buck, there's a 20-minute bonus episode featuring a story by me, if you care to listen to that, or any of our bonus minisodes, uh, uncut interviews, that is all available for a small donation. Be a part of what I do at patreon.com slash the laps. Thank you, everyone. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Laps Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest, and today we have got a story that falls within what you might call a gray area. Because whether he planned it or not, Jupiter Diego found himself wrapped up in something quite illegal in many parts of the world. While you try to parse out exactly what that might mean, let me just say up front that what transpires in this story involves a decision made by a man of sound, happy, and healthy mind. If you are struggling with depression, please do not even think about trying this at home. I'm calling this one The Last Word. Here it comes. This is The Lapse. If you were in a room with 50 people and this five foot two Dutch Jew walked in through the least visible door, everybody would know it. In his prime, the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, Jupiter's father Henry is a much accomplished man, admired as both a composer and a teacher. He would tell stories from the stage that were electrifying, where other people, it would be some bland, oft-repeated story. Not my dad. He would talk about their syphilis and their opium addiction and their affairs with 17-year-old girls. And people would laugh, take you back into the 18th century to really what it was like to be one of the great Christmas 19-year-old cutie parties. Sixteen years per scene. And they were together for half a century. Jupiter is Henry's youngest by nine years. And while no doubt all parents love all of their children equally, Henry totes Jupiter everywhere. I would take his favorite chair, his favorite Ames recliner, and put it in the middle of the living room, and then I would arrange the music stands in a circle around the recliner. Dead center for the show's rehearsal, Jupiter plops himself into the recliner. Fortunately for him, the big maestro, that's his dad. So when the musicians would arrive, he'd say in his inimitable Dutch accent, my son uh, would like to sit in the middle of the uh, music stands for our rehearsal today, and I hope that will be all right with everybody. I thought this was truly magical. 
He commanded the attention of the room. The kind of guy who'd charm the strings right off your cello. Well into his elder years, even by the time he's 84, Maestro Henry is revered, renowned, and beloved. Cancer. He had pancreatic cancer. There is no optimistic prognosis for that kind of cancer. This is a man who was in love with life. A man who sucked the marrow out of the bone of life every single day. He would use every one of these visits to flirt with the nurses and joke with the doctors. He wasn't going to let a small matter like dying get in the way of today. Now, that would not be my dad, Henry. Fact is, Henry's only got a couple months left. But as far as he's concerned, so long as he's the master of his own fate and the cancer hasn't reached his mind, he's happy. I could see my father become more and more philosophical about what he referred to as sinking into death. But he did not say this with any sense of negativity or pessimism. Henry knows that his clock is ticking. He knows most likely his cognitive faculties will deteriorate and soon, well, he has a request for Jupiter. The reason my father came to me with his request for LSD was that he knew I had taken LSD more than 100 times between the ages of 14 and 21. There is a great and growing body of evidence that entheogenic drugs that are of deep and lasting therapeutic value, particularly in end-of-life stages. But by this time, it had been years since I had done that. I fully supported the idea. I just didn't know where to go to get it. With or without LSD, Henry remains as witty and coherent as he always was. It's his body that betrays him. He grew to be incontinent, dressed only in a sleeveless undershirt and those adult diapers. As the weeks go by, naturally, Henry's health declines. Worse though, he's becoming confused. A couple of turds had been discovered at the foot of his bed. He wanted to know, could it have been the cat or a practical joke on somebody's part? Did I have any possible explanation for it? When that event with the bed sheets happened and I put it all together, I knew that it was only a matter of days until my father would end his life one way or another. While he awaits the inevitable, Jupiter's anxieties are high. Sure enough. My brother called me the day before. and The family was all to be there at the house the next day at 10 a.m. to say our goodbyes. Henry is propped up in Jupiter's childhood bedroom. When Jupiter walks in, the conversation is 
pretty light, even animated. My doctor brother and his nurse wife, me and my wife and my mother, all sat around the bed to have a final conversation with my dad. After some time, he looks around, claps his hands together, and he says, Well, uh, what do you say we get on with my special project? Up until this point, Jupiter's not been told what his father's special project is. But he's about to find out. My brother, Dr. Dan, and his wife, Gail, go down to the kitchen. Opening up 50 second all capsules. That's phenobarbital. Emptying them into an awaiting bowl of ice cream. My father grabbed that bowl and spoon and wolfed down the entire serving of ice cream in 30 seconds flat. He was not willing to risk falling asleep halfway through that bowl with the knowledge that his suicide was a failure. It was then announced in the remaining 20 minutes until the drugs took full effect that each of us would have two or three minutes alone with my father to share any last private thoughts. When it was my turn, you know, I, I was, um, I was a um, pretty aimless person at that time, and I was hoping for uh, some guidance from him. I told him that I, I wanted to be a writer. I think his last words to me were, if you were a writer, you would be writing. Which, you know, in a way sounds harsh, but it is true. Just because in my insecure state of mind, I may have taken it as a narcissistic injury, that doesn't mean that is how the statement was offered or intended. You want to do anything worthwhile in life, it takes discipline. Everything of lasting value requires sustained effort. You want to be a writer? You fucking write. And like that, Henry is gone. Apparently, my brother had made swift and prior arrangements with a funeral home to come collect my father's body before it was even cold. You have to understand, the room we were in, my brother's wife, my wife, my mother, my father, myself, that was my childhood bedroom. That was my bedroom. These dour, humorless men in their goddamn navy blue jumpsuits coming up to my childhood bedroom with a body bag, zipping them up and carrying them away within minutes? I don't even know what the word for it is. The last moments of whatever shred of my childhood may have still existed. And carried him down the stairs and out of the house for cremation to be done as soon as possible that same day. This would eliminate any possibility 
of inconvenient questions concerning the cause of death. I believe that it was unfair of my father to ask my brother for that prescription, as I further believe it has cost my brother dearly in guilt and shame for more than 20 years now. But this was a righteous and appropriate action taken by a fully conscious and aware mature man who knew exactly what he was doing and wanted to do it in an efficacious and gentle way surrounded by the love of his family members. I don't think any crime was committed at all. I think that in a purely ethical world, everyone would agree that my father, like so many people in the end stages of a terminal disease, should certainly have the unequivocal right to end their life in a way that they see fit. I don't think any crime was committed. I feel that the people who helped my father to end his life were doing a really a, a, a compassionate act. Where's the wrong in that? I, I don't see it. That story again was shared by Jupiter Diego. As you might have guessed, Jupiter is a staunch supporter of death with dignity, and that was the original name of this story. You can read and especially listen to more of his work at jupiterdiego.com. He's been featured on This Is Actually Happening with another story of his. If the subject matter of this show interested you, I'm gonna recommend you a documentary. Um, it's Terry Pratchett's documentary, Choosing to Die. Terry was one of my personal favorite authors, and he was stricken with Alzheimer's in the late stages of his life. It's a hard watch, but it is a great documentary. You can follow me at The Lapse Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to email me a story, you can do so at stories at thelapse.org. If you want to support what I do here at The Lapse or listen to that bonus 20-minute episode I mentioned, you can find that at patreon.com slash thelapse. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.